0: Freaking
1: out! This this is Brock and Saul. Brock
0: Eward and Mark Matt Marcus. Sorry about just Mike think, Mike. Presented by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the puff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Saul.
1: <laughs> Big week ahead. Happy Monday! It's the Brock and Salk Show with uh, none of those two people named instead. <laughs> You get me, Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley. So people will get excited about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of no shows today. No Brock, no Salk, no Justin. Everyone just taking the day off, taking yeah. the Monday. It's a Tip summer Monday. Hmm. They're probably out <laughs> doing all sorts. Well, we know Justin is out on uh, some cross country shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Like a week long scooter trip?
2: I think this is something he and his uh, scooter crew do every year.
1: I wonder so. if another movie is coming.
2: <laughs> Maybe.
1: They made the a movie. Long, the
2: Long Ride Home 2?
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, The Long Ride The Longer... The, <laughs> no, the Longer one, Ride Home. But
2: that one, they went uh, completely cross-country. Yeah, true. and this one, I think they're just... Uh, I think they're in Oregon.
1: Okay. Yeah, not as impressive. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's still <laughs> Last very Last year, fun. they
2: went to Canada, so... They take those scooters everywhere.
1: So we have uh, myself and Mora here with you. Brady Henderson will be in tomorrow, so uh, we'll be hosting that. Mora's still here as well. Talking Mariners-Twins, the homestand continues. It's a 10-game homestand coming out of the All-Star break, and you're going to get a lot of Twins. A lot of Twins action, Mora. You get four games with them today through Thursday, and then next week they go play them as well. Three more games on the road at Minnesota. I do wonder why we get this. Not to get too off track, but I wonder why MLB schedules like this. And yeah. I know someone's going to text in because they always do. It's just a matrix. It's an automated <laughs> scheduling matrix. You know, it's all done automatically. Yeah, sure. But you can have some discretion of where you place teams and put in parameters that say, don't play a team seven times in two weeks. Yeah. Because the Mariners have done this frequently. This happens to a lot of teams. The start of the season. It was all Guardians. It was like, hey, here's the Guardians. Do you want some more Cleveland? All right, you're going to Cleveland. So six games right away, we're against Cleveland out of like the first nine. And now seven of ten are against the Twins. We're going to see a lot of this team. And this team feels like it is almost identical to the Mariners. Two very similar teams this season.
2: Yeah. Uh, when Matt Johnson was filling in with us um week before last, he mentioned this. And I kind of hadn't thought about it, but they there are a lot of things that they're like a mirror image of each other. And I was like, are the Twins just the Mariners, but in a worse division? Because they're in first place. And the Twins are 48 and 46. they played two more games than the Mariners. The Mariners are 46 and 46, so their records are very close. But that 48 and 46 is good enough for first place in the AL Central. And the Guardians, who are one game behind the Mariners, are in second in the AL Central. Meanwhile, the M's are in third place and eight games back of the Rangers. And uh, the Angels, who have been struggling, are only a half game back from them. So I don't know if this makes you feel better or worse about where the Mariners are at. But when you look at some of these similarities, first, I think the most glaring one is that they both strike out a ton. The Twins and the M's are the first teams in MLB to crack 900. So the, Mar- the Mariners have 901 and the Twins have 949 uh-huh. strikeouts oh. this year.
1: Wow. That's a lot. I am, Okay, I'm curious, Sue. Good point you brought up there. So let's throw that out to the texters, and we'll continue to talk about the series and why these teams are so similar. But Mac and Jack's text line, chime in here. 866-979-3776. What Mora was saying there, would this season be less frustrating if the Mariners were a division leader right now? Mm-hmm. Because they're not in the playoff race. The playoffs were the expectation. But was it also the expectation that they would take a next step in get to that next tier of actual legitimate contender build on last year and be a team that you legitimately thought could make a run through the American league or is it just get into the playoffs who knows what happens from there so 866 mm-hmm. would this season be more palatable if the Mariners with this same record were a division leader because you, for most, you of this said
2: you don't think so, right? You think fans would still be frustrated.
1: Well, I'm curious. I I won't speak for all the fans, but it is a logical premise to throw out there. Because for most of this season, the AL Central didn't have a team above 500. Mm-hmm. It was a running joke for the past couple of weeks that no one could stay above 500 in the AL Central. The Twins were the division leader and they were just at 500 the entire way, or maybe a game below, and then they get back up to it. So now they are 48 and 46. They swept the A's coming out of the break, but they have struggled to maintain that mark that the Mariners have. So they're right there. The Mariners have played the same kind of baseball, but the Mariners yeah, I mean, are out of the playoff
2: struggles. race. They both have great pitching staffs. They have the exact yeah. same team ERA with a 3.72, the same whip with a 1.17. Uh, they, it's uh, their pitching staff is really good, and they have struggled at the plate. So it's it's just there's so many similarities there, but I I feel like Mariners fans would be less frustrated with this team if we were leading the division.
1: You get I think you get more leeway because there are the same game to game frustrations, and maybe that comes out when you lose and you get all that. But as long as the playoffs are there and foundational then you can put it aside and say, all right, well, they're struggling now. They're still in the playoffs, so I think they'll turn it around. Or, hey, just get in, get hot, see what happens. Because I'm not sure anyone thought the Mariners would go in and sweep the Blue Jays last year either. That was the one thing you didn't want. It was like, well, would you rather fall down and be that third wild card? Like You don't want to go to Toronto to what... Uh, Jeff Passan, who, yeah, he'll come on tomorrow, I think. (laughs) I I hope that uh, Salk hasn't kind of pushed him aside to Wednesday. But, yeah, to what Jeff Passan said was a building he didn't want to play in. That's the toughest place to play in baseball, especially in the postseason. Lo and behold, the Mariners went in, swept the Blue Jays. So, from one perspective, it's okay to not have the season you expected if you get into the playoffs. On the other side of that, though... Maybe not seeing any tangible progress is equally frustrating and disappointing no matter where you are in the standings.
2: Yeah, we're getting some some mixed responses here. Uh, it would be frustrating with some at least we're in first right now mm-hmm. in there. Uh, someone said, abs- the 509 said, absolutely not. Our offense is an embarrassment. Suarez and J-Rod are our biggest disappointments. Uh, and then the 253 says obviously that would make it better you're as good as your record shows and other teams in the division have a better record. So if their record was lower, yeah, it's a better spot to be in and frustration is less.
1: Yeah, in the moment, but throughout the course of the season if it stays like that, you almost go into what Seahawks fans ran into in the situation of well, they're just getting into the playoffs. What's the ceiling for this team? First round exit? You know, that that's not good enough. And you want to relate that back to the Twins. The worry was the Mariners if they weren't going to take the next step, that they were just going to be the Twins, who have a 18-game playoff losing streak. Oh, my gosh. Not series. Not 18 series lost. 18 games. The Twins consistently make the playoffs. They have not won a game since, like, the early 2000s. So there's the issue you get to. It's like, all right, well— if the Mariners were in this 500 team like the Blue Jays or like the Twins are, then the Twins might get to the playoffs again this year mm-hmm. because they could win their division with 83 wins. Yep. And then are they just going to limp into the playoffs and lose?
2: Well, that's where it's like do you do you want to be similar to this team because they are in first place in their division, but also they had 78 wins last year. You had 90. You should be far better than this team.
1: Yeah. I think at some point when the playoffs become a regularity, That becomes frustrating just limping in. But when the playoffs and finding that consistency of, let's just make the playoffs for multiple years. Let's sustain Mm -hmm. that progress because who knows what could happen. You know, you get in, you could win it. Like we've seen many wildcard teams do before. Right now, you haven't found that consistency for the Mariners to say, yeah, we want, we want better. We demand better. Like the Yankees fans are apoplectic because they're in last place, but they're 50-44 and 44 and just hanging around the wild card. So Red Sox fans, Yankees fans are so furious. Mariners, 46-46, and 46, there's the frustration because the season hasn't played out like it was. But you're also still right in it because the playoffs haven't been a regularity. So there's two ways to look at it, and I think it just it was a great point you brought up because the Twins are here. You're going to see a lot of the Twins. They're very similar teams this season in terms of offensive struggles, but dominant pitching. Mariners, uh, and, Mariners and Twins are two of the best pitching staff in the majors by war. Uh, the Twins starters are the best, 10.7 war. The Mariners are third, and then they have the first and third best pitching staffs as well there, so... Very similar teams that we can get into a little bit more with Shannon Dreher. She'll join us at 7.30. But uh, we're going to continue to dive in to this Mariners-Tigers series. There's one thing that you need to know based off of what happened this weekend. That's coming up next. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
3: Need to know.
0: 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk.
3: Here's what you need to know. Up first.
1: Mariners salvaged the series against the Tigers. 2-0 win yesterday. Didn't have much offense, but uh, they had more than enough because they shut down the Tigers' offense due to Bryce Miller's five scoreless innings in his return off the I.L. Uh, the blister, we heard all the details about how he recovered from that. And the Tigers mustered only a couple of base runners and just a few hits. Did not get a base runner to third in the bullpen. then after Miller's five scoreless innings, Had four one-hit innings from the bullpen. Jared Kelnick, RBI, double in the first. Cal Raleigh's home run in the fourth were the difference. Mora, I think we've kind of seen that the Mariners are not going to overwhelm you with offense. Certainly, they didn't do that even in their playoff season last year. But it's the timely offense that has been lacking. And this time, they got what they needed. They scored first. And they let their pitching do it from there
2: does seem like that's the key. I wish it wasn't. Like, why do they have to score first in order to do this? Like, let's show some fight. Did you see what the Angels did this weekend? I mean, it didn't end the way they wanted it to, but they kept battling back and kept battling back. I just want to see some more of that from the Mariners, but... It was really nice to see Kalnick get it started like that yesterday.
1: Yeah, Kalnick has been great. Uh, A four-game hit streak now. J.P. Crawford was terrific. Three for three, a couple of doubles. He drew a walk as well. So he leads all shortstops and on-base percentage and walk rate. That's been a solid uh, guy there at the top of the order. There were still some offensive struggles the way Eugenio Suarez, Teoscar Hernandez go hitless for the series, and outside of the three hits from J.P. Crawford, that was half of the offense right there. So he a little gets bit on of base offensive. And no one's of,
2: driving him in. I,
1: I know, and that's <laughs> why I think it's gotten lost in uh, in the midst of what he's doing, how good of a season he's had, because he does his job up there. He gets on base, I and mean, that's the key to Moneyball. Everyone that that core scene in Moneyball, or Brad Pitt just says he gets on base. Mm -hmm. Gets on base. But uh, that's what J.P. Crawford's done. The Mariners do win that one. They host the Twins now for four games beginning tonight. six forty. First pitch tonight, Tuesday and Wednesday. 12.40 on Thursday. And then no break. The Blue Jays come to town this weekend before the Twins again next week. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. uh, You're going to see a lot of baseball, a lot of Twins, and a lot of good pitching. Uh, Logan Gilbert and Sonny Gray tonight.
2: I think Logan Gilbert is due for a big second half. I really just like how dominant he looked before the break. I like that he has an alter ego on game day, and I I think he's really dialed in, and I'm excited to see what he can do.
3: Here's the second thing You need to know.
1: It has been a tough season for the Storm, but a pretty cool individual accomplishment over the weekend. Jewel Lloyd was named the WNBA All-Star Game MVP. You continue to take steps in this league and show that you are one of the best players in the
2: world. How have you improved this season, and what are you proud of as you walk off this court tonight as the MVP? Honestly, um, it's special because the last time I saw Kobe was here. And so I know that um, he's a... constantly with me and I try to
1: live by his words of be epic and be forever a lot of offense from Jewel Lloyd all-star game record 31 points uh, came off 10 made threes as team Stewart defeated team Wilson 143 to 127 I like that no one cares in all-star games defense optional like yeah be be entertaining put on a show Uh, Jewel Lloyd took like 21 threes she made 10 of them can you imagine that in a regular season game in you any know. any NBA game, or any WNBA game that someone's just like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take 20some threes today is that all right like yeah yeah sure go ahead <laughs> yeah go do that go one round fans come for offense though
2: 10 threes still really impressive though and apparently she was battling a foot injury heading into that game but still wanted to show up and do that all-star appearance and boy did she show up. <laughs>
3: Here's the third thing you need to know.
1: DeAndre Hopkins has reportedly signed with the Tennessee Titans. And ESPN's Diana Rossini says it's a two-year deal. Could be worth up to $15 million if he hits some incentives. That also includes a $12 million base salary this season. So not the move that uh, maybe immediately jumped out to people, thinking, all right, DeAndre Hopkins... In his 30s, now wants to go play for a contender, wants to play for a winner. All these guys, when it gets late in their careers, they go and, and chase that ring. Understandably so, because it's uh, it's a feat that everyone wants at the end of the day. Going to the Titans at the outset doesn't really seem like that. But hey, money talks, I guess. And uh, Hopkins is on a team that probably has a good chance to win the division. Because the AFC South is, quite frankly, terrible.
2: Uh, that is very true. Yes, they are. <laughs> Um God I'm trying to think back to last year that the Colts and the Texans and the, yeah um, the
1: Jags won the division because the Titans proceeded to lose seven straight games to end the year,
2: okay, and there's the okay. Titans
1: knowledge you didn't know you needed to know, but because need to know i'm telling you about it.
2: Well, you know, he um, between the suspension and an injury last year, he only played in nine games. But he still had seven and seven hundred and seventeen yards, and that's with Kyler Murray's struggles too. So I know he's on the back nine of his career, but I think there there is still something left there. He's a pretty dominant receiver. We were talking off air about how um, even if he can't get separation, he is great at drawing defensive pass interference calls. So maybe maybe he can help your team out.
1: I hope so. I think it couldn't get worse with their receiving core. I think, though, from the Seahawks' perspective, good to get him out of the NFC. Because when he came back, that first game, he just kind of ran all over the place on that first touchdown drive against the Seahawks last year. So he's always a problem. Good to get him out of the division and out of the conference. And it really just kind of shows the talent exodus out of the NFC. All of these big superstars have moved out of the NFC, going to the AFC over the past couple of seasons. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, DeAndre Hopkins. It just gets easier and easier for the Seahawks. The path is there. If you get through the Niners that's and Eagles, which that's a big task as well. but That's
2: why it's more and more surprising that everyone's labeling better. the Seahawks as a sleeper. I'm like, are they really? I think they're just one of the better teams in the NFC. Yeah,
1: they, they could be, even though they're young. They're a good, established team in the NFC because there's not a lot of talent right now in that conference. Alright, uh, we're going to get back to baseball. A lot to talk about with Shannon Dreyer. used to hearing her on this show plenty of times, so we're going to get her insights on the Mariners' start to the second half of the season. Up next here, it's Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley. This This is the Brock and Salk show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
3: You're listening to Brock and Salk,
0: powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
1: Well, we got Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley here with you on a Monday morning. And now we also have our Mariners insider joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Shannon Dreyer. And Shannon, you had a much-deserved off day yesterday. Now we're bothering you early Monday morning. But uh, how was the Sunday for you?
0: Sunday was great. It felt like it was two days. Uh, The weather was fantastic. Got outside, got to do a lot. And for some reason, everybody's decided I'm a morning person. So I guess I'll go ahead and try that out.
1: But yeah that's morning we just thing decided wild. you
2: have to suffer with us sorry uh, apparently
1: I'm a morning person now too uh, Shannon when when you look at this series though you know the second half has started we're past all all the fun uh, of the all-star game which which was such a fun week it was a, it was a great time here in Seattle and we saw some great moments from Julio the whole baseball world is here then you get past that you dive right back in the second half of the season and yes the Mariners do win yesterday But they lose the series. So how do you reconcile the win yesterday? Because that's the most recent thing. We're such a day-to-day, game-to-game reactionary business. So how do you reconcile yesterday with the overall weekend?
0: Well, thank goodness. Because three would have just been absolutely unpalatable if that had happened. And it would have put them in a, a much worse spot. You wanted to obviously see the momentum that you saw going into the break, coming out of the break. And you didn't see that. In fact, you saw the exact opposite. They look sluggish, and you've heard you know Scott Service and others say so many times when you're not hitting it looks really kind of dead out there, and that doesn't mean that guys aren't out there trying, but they weren't hitting coming out of the break and that was kind of the one concern that I had. I really loved what I saw at the beginning of July since the you know the Tampa series, and that included the final two games of the Tampa series, so I guess we're going back to the players only meeting that. Uh, they had that we're talking about, but they played good baseball. They played good team baseball. They were doing a lot of things right. They certainly were hitting together as a team. And that was key because while they were hitting together as a team, you still had some big struggles going on. And so my fear was, as good as it was to see them take the series from the Rays, from the Astros, uh, and from the Giants, you still had guys that were struggling at the plate. And that still has to get Sorted out, and I think that we saw that you came out of the break. They weren't able to hit together, and I think what we've learned is that when they are struggling, the sum is much better than the parts. If they all hand that bat uh, bat over, have those good at bats and hit as a team, but we didn't see that. They weren't able to get to the pitchers early in those first two games, and you still had the same struggles. So we saw. A move made yesterday with Ty France dropped lower in the order, and he's had really a, a terrible July. He's been in probably the biggest struggle that we have seen him uh, in the entire season so far. Um, Julio Rodriguez, he is, they're starting to see the average come up. You're starting to see the on-base, but you're not seeing anything near what he slugged last year, and they need that from him. Uh, Eugenio Suarez has been hot and cold. He had kind of a three-game stretch in July that really boosted his numbers, but he's on a five-game hitless streak right now. Cal Raleigh has been in an extended slump as well. He came through with a home run. I'm sure that helped quite a bit. And Teoscar Hernandez through all of this has kind of looked a lot more like April Teoscar Hernandez than he did like June. So, you know, no matter what they do and as well as they played in what we saw them coming into that break, they still need certain guys in this lineup to, to kind of get back to their numbers right now. And they didn't really do it on that. So I, I think that that was my fear coming out of the break. What I, I was encouraged to see is they were able to pull it together yesterday. You need to see more than two runs, but it's a start. And they needed that after two brutal games coming out of the break.
2: Well, Shannon, someone that has been consistently getting on base and passing passing the bat on to the next guy is J.P. Crawford. Scott Service said yesterday that he would go with Crawford as team MVP if he had to pick one so far. He's obviously been a rock for them, but we were told at the beginning of the season that they really needed to schedule some off days for him because his body wore down last year. Is there any concern that they haven't been able to do that yet?
0: No, because last year he was a lot more beat up than he was this year. And I think that, um, and he talks about it, and I think he's a lot more honest about where he is right now. The first thing that he will say, and he has said from start to finish, you know, how are you doing what you're doing this year? He refuses to get into anything technical about what he's doing. He really doesn't want to break down what he did. We know that he worked at driveline in the offseason. We know that he got a bit stronger. We know that there have been some adjustments that have been made, but he just says, I am healthy, and thank God I am healthy. You know, that's how beat up he was last year. And I can think about, I think, one time when I saw the, um, you know, one of the back treatment um, wraps that he had on him this year. But last year he had wraps on him and ice on him and every, you know, stem machines and everything else on him almost all year. Wow. And and so that is why he definitely needed that rest. and He also needed that rest because a knock against him the entire time he has been with the Mariners is he wears down, that he just you know he needs to get a little bit stronger. That is something that's been said all along. Well, you know he's hitting the ball harder. He's barreling up more baseballs. He appears stronger on top of everything else. So I don't think he needs that. He's also a player. There are some players that really want that day off, and kind of you know in the past that would be kind of be frowned of. Oh, you've got to you know you got a post for all one sixty two. But guys understand recovery now a lot better. There's a whole science, and it's kind of one of the new uh, areas where they think that you can get that edge if you get the, the complete and the correct recovery. So guys appreciate that day sometimes. And so they're not just charging, oh, I'll be out there and you're, you're going to have to rip the cleats off of me this year to not be out there. <laughs> JP is one of those guys. He wants to be out there every time. So as long as he is healthy, as long as he is still, you know, as strong as this, as he's displayed, as long as the bat still looks, uh, you know, as quick as it has, uh, uh, there's no reason to sit him.
1: Hey, Shan, I want to take a look at the pitching here with you because yesterday Scott Service said, The plan for Bryce Miller was that he was only going to go five max, and he did. He gave him a a good five-inning outing, and then the bullpen picked it up from there. But when you have Bryce Miller coming back from this blister, and then you still have the unknown of Brian Wu and what that might be like for him in the second half of the season, all of a sudden all these games are piling up. There are not a lot of off days coming up. Where do you think the Mariners might be challenged with uh, the pitching maybe from the starters or from the bullpen?
0: Well, I think one of the things that they did is, you know, with the order coming out of the break, and there's really nothing to it. A bunch of people were tweeting me, oh, George Kirby is now the number two because he pitched second. And I'm like, well, no, not really. That's what worked as far as rest goes. You know, the only time that really means anything is opening day uh, when you have that honor of being the opening day pitcher and, you know, kind of maybe what you start to slot for a postseason or something like that. And it's all still very movable if need be. So, Uh, One of the things that they did do is they bumped Logan Gilbert down to four. No, he's not the fourth-best starter on this (laughs) team. But what they were able to do is they were able to put him between Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, and he kind of uh, does what Marco Gonzalez did for um, Kirby last year, in that he pitches before Wu does. And Marco was in that spot in large part because they knew – that he was going to be able to go out there and not use a lot of bullpen and they could save that bullpen for the next day and you you have a good feeling that when Logan Gilbert goes out there he's going to give you 6 7 innings and that is uh, you know enough to get you into not having to use too much bullpen to have guys uh, that will be down there that you can go to, if need be, early, and that's going to help with Woo. I think with Wu, they're going to keep him to five innings as much as absolutely possible. In fact, they might be really stringent in that. You saw them do that with Bryce Miller uh, just uh, yesterday coming off the, the blister. I think the blister's not going to affect him. The innings, he's got more history in giving innings and does not have the shoulder surgery or the elbow surgery that Wu is coming off of, so you don't have to quite be as careful with him, but you still do have to be as care- you do have to be careful with him. And then the other thing is that I think when it comes to the bullpen, you've still got arms you can go down and get. You know, I suspect Prelander Barra is getting pretty close right now. And he's somebody and looking at what he's done down there, he has been able to give multiple innings as well. So uh, I think that if you get to a point where the bullpen does need help or those guys do need extra innings, uh, I think that they can still make those moves too.
2: You know, that's interesting. I was just talking to Salk off air last week about how we'd heard a lot about Perlander Barroa at the beginning of June. um, And it kind of sounded like we might see him soon. And then it was really quiet after that.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of, early to mid on when they made the conversion with him. You know, there's no doubt that he has the stuff, but you were not seeing the command that you wanted to okay. see with it quite yet. And I think just also kind of getting, you know, used to the balance of pitches that he is going to use use as a reliever, which are going to be different than what he is going to use as a starter. I don't think he will um, lean on the fastball, even though he's got, you know, the hundred mile an hour fastball. We've seen, you know, you don't have to look any further than Andres Munoz, uh, how effective, the sliders or any of the relievers for that matter. And and so I think there was probably some refining going on there and just also making sure that Mm -hmm. he's comfortable with everything and being able to go two innings. It doesn't sound like much, but it is so valuable to have that guy coming out of the pen and being a starter and coming off of that and being built up to be a starter this year. He's somebody that should be able to do that.
1: Shannon, uh, one more here from me. I kind of want to... Maybe play baseball psychologists. And I know this is always (laughs) tough to try to get inside the mind of a player, but yeah, with Ty France and, you know, him moving down, so rare to see him there in that seventh spot. He just, he doesn't hit that low. And Scott Service mentioned that, you know, he expects Ty to be back up there towards the top half of the order soon, but his chase rates up and, you know, his strikeouts are, are looming. What do you think is going on with him? Is it just kind of the pressure weighing on him that, hey, I'm so used to getting hits in bunches that isn't coming, and now you almost double down on trying to fight your way out of it. Is there something that you have noticed maybe that's going on with Ty France?
0: You know, I think, I, I think that as far as the numbers go, I need to look more into that. Um, I think absolutely there's a psychological factor to that for him because that's what he has been. You know, Ty, all he does is hit France. That's who he has been his entire career. And so that is tough. And he is somebody that, you know, he also, while he's not a vocal leader on this team, he is somebody that I think feels very responsible for getting this team to where it wants to be. And he's, you know, I guess you would call him a veteran, right? A young veteran. And we'll call him that right now. So that's tough. And I think that does pile up on him. And you do see the frustration. From him. And one of the things I'm kind of interested in is he is one of those guys um, who just doesn't make a lot of changes. What he has done, he has done since double A. And he's talked about this a little bit. He's not somebody who's much of a tinkerer or or anything like that. So I'm wondering, you know, when there is something off or maybe it is time to make a change, uh, how does he accept help in doing that? Because he's kind of done it on his own. So I think that this is just really very much a foreign place for him to be and uh, I I think it makes it that much tougher on him you know it's in there we've seen it at the big league level we've seen it for a stretch of a year not necessarily an entire season but a a 365 from a half season to another half season but it it might be a, a time where it is time for him to make some sort of significant change out there but I think when you look at the chase rates with him I think that's probably frustration. I think that's probably more situational and where he's at.
1: Yeah, great stuff, Shannon. Uh, one more question: Are you ready for a lot of twins? It's gonna be a lot of twins <laughs> over the next week.
0: I know. I just thought of that. You know, like literally, it was like the last thing I thought about before I went to bed last night. I'm like, wow, that's weird. And I was doing a scoreboard the other night, and you can look at uh, the Brewers and the Reds. They actually played each other going into and out of oh. the break. <laughs> So they played seven in a row, and the Brewers really took advantage in that time. They um, shut them out three times in a row, which was a, a franchise best, which imagine the Reds, as hot as they've been, shut out three times in a row, and in the process jumped them in the standings. So the Brewers uh, took the top spot in the NL Central, and the Mariners need to look at that a little bit as, as uh, you know something they need to do with the Twins as well the twins likely will win i would think out the the guardians could come back but you know they very possibly could be in that wild card conversation at the end so take advantage get the wins where you can there and they really need to do that this weekend against Toronto as well. Or they don't have Toronto yet. Yeah, just the twist. Yes, they do have Toronto. Yeah, this weekend. It's <laughs> early. What are you guys doing? I know, Sorry. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, go go back to sleep or get coffee or do whatever. Uh, Shannon, thank coffee. you. We appreciate thank it. You.
0: Lots of coffee. Co- lots of coffee. Right.
1: And, yes, uh, Mariners fans, of course, can hear Shannon tonight at 530 with the Mariners pregame leading up to that 640 first pitch. So we're going to go right from baseball into football. Uh, let's get to some Blue 88.
3: This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88!
0: Blue 88!
3: We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can.
0: Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike (laughs) Sox.
3: So well, instead of
1: all that, we have Mike Lefko, Mora Dooley and playing the role of Brock Hewer today. It is our guy, Michael Bumpus and Bump. Uh, Mora told me I couldn't ask you about Steph Curry because I know you probably want to talk about that. I'll let you talk <laughs> about that uh, on your show at 10 o'clock. But all right. Uh, our first Seahawks question for you, Bump. Training camp starts a week from Wednesday. What position group do you learn the most about when the pads come on?
3: Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to be talking about Steph Curry. You already know how that goes, Mike. Uh, <laughs> but, um, when the pass come on, you can learn about everybody, right? You can learn about, see, can the receivers handle pressure, um, uh, press at the line of scrimmage, can the DBs get more physical. But you know it's all about the big boys, man, because during these OTAs and mini camps, this is probably the only group that will never reach 100% at some point during a practice. Even running backs will reach 100% when it comes to getting through the line of scrimmage and um, trying to pull off a big run. Receivers accelerating, decelerating. DB's breaking on the ball. And even linebackers getting into position. But the trenches is where it is the most physical. Now, they're still going to take care of each other. They're not going to beat each other up. But we're going to see these guys actually put hands and try to defeat the guy in front of them. And I think that's what everyone's waiting to see. What's this offensive line going to look like? And what's the defensive line going to look like? Is Cam Young going to take a step forward or even take a step? Any step, right? baby steps. He's a rookie. Is uh, Dre Jones going to look good? Is Jay Reed going to look good? So I'm going to be looking at the trenches, and I think everyone else should, too, because the game on the outside is probably the most easiest to, um, uh, to analyze and diagnose what's going on. If you are a real student of the game, you look at those trenches, and you're trying to see leverage. You're trying to see hands. You're trying to see balance. So I'm looking at the offensive line and that defensive line. I want to see what Anthony Bradford does. Olu, There's a lot of new names um, in in those two groups. So yeah, look at the big boys, man, and see what's going on down there.
1: Number two. You want to ask him more? I didn't want to take it all here. I don't want to dominate. I don't know how this goes with three of us. I did
2: not tell him you couldn't talk about Steph Curry.
3: Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs)
2: All right, you guys spoke to Kobe Bryant on your show last week. What kind of leap do you see him making in year two?
3: Yeah, Kobe had a good year. Um, Started off the season pretty fast, right? All those forced fumbles or whatnot, made the transition from an outside corner over to the nickel slot. And this year, I think they're going to be more creative with him, or he can take a big leap with just getting after the quarterback. You know, when we spoke to him, he said, look, that's something I want to do. That's something I get excited about when I hear the call in the huddle. Him getting after the quarterback and I also told him I go man you're sneaky big you're about six one six two um you got some good size on you so I think that with just the the depth that they have at the, that corner position the nickel position and the type of players that they have I expect Kobe's big league would be getting after quarterback a bit more and also interceptions obviously if you are in the secondary uh, you want to take the ball out the air and uh, and give it to your offense but I think the way they're going to use Kobe Brown, we're going to see him getting after the quarterback a bit more and being more physical. And then now sustaining the turnovers. He had a nice burst, what, week one through six or seven where. The turnovers will happen like crazy, and then they kind of slow down a bit. And sometimes it just happens that way. There's nothing really uh, directly correlated to Kobe Bryant's play. But I think as you get more comfortable, you take more chances, and you turn the ball over a bit more. So more turnovers, getting the ball off the air and interceptions. But I really like what they're going to do with him in the box and getting after the quarterback.
1: All right, number three. Well, there are two loaded position groups. So, who has a better chance of cracking a spot at deep position groups when you look at either Trey Brown or D. Eskridge?
3: Man, that is tough. And the reason why that's tough is because I think D. Eskridge is in a make it or break it type of year. I feel like right third or fourth year in this league, you haven't seen much of him, and you know that. He's not competing for a starting spot. He's competing for that number four, number five spot, depending on how many receivers they take. And I look at Trey Brown, I think he's kind of in the same situation. You have your two safeties, your two starting corners and your nickel. Where's Trey Brown going to, uh, going to make an impact? Here's where defensive players always have the advantage though. They're the guys who are more than likely to make the kickoff team, uh, the punt cover team and make an impact there and then show coach, look, I can play. Let me get more reps when it comes to this defense. With receivers, if you're not returning the football or you're not a young type of receiver who's big and physical, you can go down there and make tackles, it's going to be tough for you to kind of crack the code. So naturally, I lean towards Spray Brown because he's been here and uh, his abilities on defense and special teams. I think both guys are in tough positions though. I think um, they were both brought here to play. Unfortunately, had some injuries that kind of set them back a little bit. And what NFL teams do is they don't wait around. They go out and they draft and they find guys for that spot just in case things don't work out. So they're both in the same position. But I'm looking at Trey Brown and I feel like he's naturally gonna get more opportunities because he's gonna be able to do more. He can play nickel, he can play outside, and he can help on special teams. I think. Yes, they should have some special teams, but if he's not making uh, big runs on return or anything like that, then um, he kind of gets lost in the mix. So I hope the best for both of those dudes. I think they can both play in this league. But if I had to pick one, I'm going with Trey Brown to see if he can do a bit more.
1: All right, Bump, I have to clarify. Mora, you're right, did not say I couldn't ask you about Steph Curry. <laughs> I just knew if I asked you about him first, that's all we would talk about. So I didn't want <laughs> to spend all eight minutes about it. But, uh, yeah, quick thought here. What did you think about Steph Curry?
3: Man, Steph Curry might be one of the best overall athletes we've seen. And now people look at golf and they say, well, you don't really have to be a great athlete to play golf. I can agree with that, but you got to be extremely skilled, and I think that's also part of being a great athlete. That's why I respect baseball players because it's such a skilled sport. But, man, seeing him do what he does, and honestly, last week or a couple weeks ago, he didn't play well in the match with him and Clay Mm, versus uh, Mahomes and Kelsey. So for him to come out, get that ace, win the tournament, um, it, it was fun to watch, man. He should really consider joining the Cornberry, uh tour when he's done hoping.
1: Man, that would be impressive. Uh, Bump, thanks, man. I appreciate you playing the role of uh, Brock Heward today. We'll, we'll tell him you did it better because, uh, you know, the, the Cougs, it was their weekend. Do you know it was Cougs' night at the Mariners game on Saturday? They gave away yeah, the Cougs jersey.
3: Yeah, and didn't work out for us, I but am. I'll take it. Yeah, all right.
1: Well, all right, thanks, Bump. Uh, we'll see you in here shortly, man.
3: I right, guys. I
1: guess. All right. That is uh, Michael Bumpus, who you hear every day from 10 to 2 on Bump and Stacey. And what he said there, I I think that's going to be about Trey Brown and Diaz. It's not about Steph Curry. We could talk about that, too. But I think that will be a really interesting discussion. And there are a lot of them as we hurdle towards the start of training camp. What do you think about that? I mean, does either have a chance of making a roster? And who would you go with Of saying, all right, if one or two of them are going to get out there, maybe who do we see more of this season?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. I thought uh, they've like made Escourge my guy on this show because I said yeah. that he had. Uh, they asked me what happened at camp the day before, and I said that he had a good day. And then now Salk's like your guy, and oh, I'm like, uh-huh. I just, like, I thought, I do think he is loaded with talent if he can stay healthy. Uh, everyone raves about it, and he's been working out with Gino Smith the last two off seasons, so he has a good chemistry with him. Um, but I tend to, for some reason, I tend to lean more towards Trey Brown. What do you think?
1: I was really confused by Trey Brown's non-emergence last year. And I wonder if he just didn't come back from the injury. It was very, very severe looking. I mean, it was terrifying. You know, the patellar tendon and just the way that all kind of tore apart there in that game against the Cardinals. And so we don't really know what a rehab process is like. You know, you get an expected timeline. You get, all right, he's going to be back on the field now. Mm -hmm. But I think Quandre Diggs even mentioned with his injury you know he was still feeling it going into training camp last oh, yeah. year. So for Trey he Brown said to come back he didn't feel one hundred percent
2: till almost the end of the year. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so for us, when we see a player back out there, mm-hmm. we think, all right, all is good. They're back. They're recovered from the injury. Mm-hmm. But the true recovery process probably goes longer as you ramp back up to full speed.
2: Well, Patel tendon used to be like a career ender. They've they've come a long way, I think, with the surgeries they can do on that. But it used to be a bad. A death sentence in the NFL.
1: So I'm going to just chalk that up to, okay, he maybe tried to give it a go. I think, what, he popped into a couple of series during that Raiders game, and then we just never saw him again. Mm -hmm. Because Michael Jackson did so well, he locked down that other corner position to recall and emerge. He didn't really need to force Trey Brown back out there. So I would hope that a healthy Trey Brown pushes and he makes it more of a competition and maybe that's what the Seahawks are thinking because they have slid Devin Witherspoon into the nickel. And we're all just basing this off of OTAs and minicamp. And again, no pads yet. But to see all of that, more depth, the better. Because you just never know what's going to happen well, over the course of the season. you already
2: got Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant missing time. Mm-hmm. So you could need that depth.
1: So I think I hope Trey Brown makes an impact. Not that I don't hope Dee Eskridge does. But I think the offense has shown that they can manage themselves without yeah. Dee Eskridge. I think you could use Trey Brown to help make your defense better. So At this point, I th- hope he comes a third back.
2: receiver in the offense feels like a bonus. <laughs> right. Yeah, whereas, yeah, you need healthy cornerbacks.
1: Yeah, that is Hey, say, it's coming quickly. It's a, it's a week from Wednesday, I think, the first day that we'll be out there for Seahawks training camp. And I'm kind of in the mindset where everything over a week and shorter than two weeks feels like 10 days. I was like, ah, it's about yeah. 10 days. I mean, technically it's like nine if you don't count today, but... It's coming soon. It is next week, about 10 days away. Seahawks begin training camp, and then uh, the season's here. It begins, and all of a sudden you have a mock game on August 4th and then some preseason games after that. So plenty of Seahawks talk coming up, especially tomorrow when ESPN's Brady Henderson is in. But we're getting back to the Mariners, and what if this is all the Mariners have this season? We're going to talk about that next. Maura Dooley, Mike Lefko in on the Brock & Salk Show, Seattle Sports, and the Seattle Sports app.